0: It's already been an amazing day, amen, celebrating all those going public. One more time, put your hands together for all those making that decision. Already a beautiful day. We've been in a series called The Final Countdown. Everybody say The Final Countdown. Have you guys enjoyed the series so far? All right, we're going we're gonna to close it out today. Um, Week one, we talked about ill-prepared or oil-prepared, and week two, we talked about an oil spill, uh, how the Holy Spirit is going to be moving in the last days, and then last week, we we asked the question, what's next? Um, Today, I want to close it out by talking about Jesus and the book of Revelation. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. All right, anytime you bring up the book of Revelation, people get nervous. Um, There's a lot of questions surrounding the book of Revelation, but my goal today is that by the end of of the message, that your faith will be strengthened, and you'll have the courage to open up the book for yourself, Uh, because how many know that John, when he wrote it, he said, at the very beginning of Revelation, he said, blessed is he that reads these words, and blessed is he who hears these words. And so if we're blessed by reading and hearing the words of Revelation, how many think we ought to look at that book every once in a while, right? Like there's a blessing attached to it. And so um, obviously it's a daunting task to take on the book of Revelation. Uh, I'm going to do my best today uh, in the amount of time that I have to keep it really, really simple Uh, And I hope that by the end you've acquired a little bit of an understanding and um, because I want to give you snapshots of the book of Revelation. Most Christians are really intimidated by the book. And I say most Christians, let let me take that a step further. Most pastors (laughs) are intimidated by the book of Revelation because it can be exciting and scary at the same time. There are dragons. In the book of Revelation, there are beasts, there are multiple heads, there's 666, all of that is found in the book of Revelation, you can read about 12 stars, 10 horns, 7 heads, 6 wings, 4 bowls of incense, 2 olive trees, and 1 antichrist, let's just dive right in, right? I mean, there's so much that you can talk about when it comes to the book of Revelation, so I don't want you to be creeped out. I actually want you to be excited about it. And I want you all to say this with me. I think we have it on the screen, my first point. I want us to say this. I hope I gave it to them. If I didn't, then I'll just have to walk you through it. But we are blessed if we read and hear what is written in this book. Can you all say that with me? We are blessed if we read or hear what is in this book. How many believe that? All right, we're blessed. There's a blessing attached to reading this book. So the Book of Revelation is actually meant to encourage you. It's meant to build your faith. Um, the The Book of Revelation is not. The revelation of the Antichrist, or the beast, or 666, or even the revelation of the end times. The book of Revelation is very clear right up front. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is who is being revealed in the book of Revelation. I hope that your faith is strengthened today as we we read this, and as we look at some of the points I want to share with you. Um, It was written by the apostle John. John was the last living disciple of the original 12. He's the last one alive when he writes this. And it's interesting to me, if you know what happened after Jesus got up on the third day, we know Judas betrayed Jesus and then took his own life, but the other 10, not counting John, the other 10, they all died the death of a martyr. And, I, and I, I think that's a good thing to understand, especially if you're skeptical about all this, because it's interesting to me that 10 of the disciples who followed Jesus, that after he rose from the grave, they were willing to die for him. Now, how I many you know that? That tells me they saw him get up. They saw him ascend. They saw him defeat death, hell, and the grave. And they were so in tune with what he had accomplished, they themselves were willing to die for it. Now, how many of that that ought to change a skeptic's mind? That we're willing to die. We believe so much in this that we're willing to die. And the only guy still alive in AD 95 is the Apostle John. And the emperor of that time made this statement. He said, I want all of you, this is an emperor, I want all of you to worship me as Lord and God. And John said, basically, I've seen the Lord and you ain't him. I've seen him and you are not him. I am not going to worship you. I'm going to worship the one who died and rose again. And and, and the Bible tells us that he was in a cave that you can actually still visit today where Jesus begins to give him this amazing revelation. And if you read chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, you'll see there's actually letters from Jesus to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And the book of Revelation was initially letters to those seven churches. Now what I'm going to do today is I'm going to break the book of Revelation down into five sections to help you read it on your own. Is that all right? Okay, three of you said great. The rest of you are like, just tell us what we need to know, right? Just tell us, like, I don't want to go home and study this. Just tell us. Uh, But I want to break it down into five sections so that when you read the book of Revelation, you can be looking for these five things as you read it. Point number one, Jesus, this is the first section, Revelation chapters 1 through 3, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. In chapters 1 through 3, that's the theme. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Um, The other theme here is that Jesus is returning soon. Look with me at Revelation chapter number 1, verses 7 and 8. It says, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierce him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Amen. Look at what Jesus says. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, let me just say, this is not the first return of Christ. The first return, if you guys will throw my timeline back up real quick. um, We have spent a lot of time in this series talking about the rapture. All right, everybody say the rapture. The rapture, Jesus does not fully come back to the earth. How many know we are snatched out to meet him in the air, right? That is the rapture of the church, okay, followed by seven years of the tribulation. Now, the return of Christ, the second return of Christ is not the rapture. That's when those that are his are caught up to meet him in the air, but after the seven-year tribulation, how many of you understand, we come back with Christ. See, when he comes in the rapture, we, we are called up to be with him. But right here, the return of Christ, we are coming back with Jesus to rule and to reign for 1,000 years. Everybody say 1,000 years. 1,000 years. How many excited about that millennial kingdom where we rule and reign with Jesus? The rapture, he doesn't come all the way back. But the return of Christ is when you and I return back to rule and to reign with him. And the scripture says, every eye will see him. Every eye. He also says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. In our language, he would have said, I am the A and the Z. I am the beginning and the end, and it's really even further than that, because how many know Jesus was there before there was a beginning? Think about this. There's never been a time when God wasn't. So, I mean, where did God come from? Well, there's never been a time that He wasn't. Is that tough on y'all's mind? That hurts me a little bit, like, Like, it's hard to fathom a time when God wasn't. He has always been. He says, I am the A, I am the Z, I am the Alpha, and I am the Omega. If you're a Christian, you don't have to be afraid of the end times. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And that is good news. Look at verses 14 and 15. I like this. It says, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades.'" So Jesus is holding the seven stars in his hand. Now I know the book of Revelation has a lot of symbolism that confuses people, but the seven stars that he's holding in his hand, it represents the seven angels of the seven churches that Jesus writes to in the book of Revelation chapter two and chapter three. The angels were actually pastors or ministers. And John said that there was a sharp, Double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. This is not some kind of circus trick. How many know he has the word of God in his mouth? Hebrews 4 says that the word is sharp, then sharper than any double-edged sword. And not only does Jesus have the word in his mouth, how many of you understand we should have the word in our mouth? We should have the word in our mouth. So he's coming back with a sharp double-edged sword. And here's the thing. John was close to Jesus. Uh, I know he said it about himself, but it's great to have revelation. But John said, uh, I'm John, the one whom Jesus loved. I love that. Anybody else like that? Like you say, well, he's the one, you know, Jesus loved. Well, John wrote that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not write that. John wrote, I'm John, the one he really loves. And John was so close to Jesus, the scripture says that he, he laid in the lap of Jesus, like that. There, there was a closeness there. There, there was a, a, an intimacy between John and Jesus, but when Jesus returns, and John gets this vision, John figures out Jesus is not coming back as buddy, buddy, but he's actually coming back as alpha and Omega. I'm going to take it a step further. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not coming back meek and mild. He's coming back with authority. Somebody ought to praise the Lord right there. He, he, this is not now I lay me down to sleep, Jesus. This is I'm taking over. I'm king of kings. I'm lord of lords. I'm alpha and omega. And John sees this revelation and falls as dead. And Jesus puts his right hand on him and says, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried about this. And I love the, the, the imagery that, that we are given. He places his right hand on John and says, don't be, the, be afraid. I am the first and the last. And he goes on to tell him, he says, I am the living one. Jesus said to him, he said, I was dead, but they couldn't keep me dead. I am alive, and I'm alive forevermore. So in chapters 1 through 3, we have to see that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. The second section, this is Revelation chapter 4 and 5, all right, the next two chapters. Jesus is the Lamb of God, all right? This is what we see in the next two chapters, Jesus as the Lamb of God, and the theme here is not only is he the Lamb of God, but the theme is also that he is the one who is worthy to open up the scroll. And you may say, well, Pastor, what does all that mean? I'm so glad you're asking. Um, If you read chapters 4 and 5 for yourself, what you will see is that God is on the throne, and he holds in his hand a giant scroll, and it is sealed with seven seals. And this scroll is kind of like a last will and testament is what this scroll is. It's kind of like a declaration that is to come and all that is to happen in the earth. And John wants to see what is in the scroll, right? He's curious. He wants to know what's in the scroll. And an angel says, who is worthy to open up the scroll?" Everyone looks around heaven, and they can't find anybody, and John gets a little bit panicked out in the moment. He starts to cry because they can't find anyone who's worthy, when suddenly he looks, and he sees the Lamb of God. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 and 9, it says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And they sang a new song You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language, and people, and nation. John, on the Isle of Patmos, getting this revelation, he sees Jesus as the Lamb of God, as the one who was slain for our forgiveness. And that, that imagery may not do it for you, but that imagery They would have understood John when he wrote this because it's powerful because John's readers remembered another John, John the Baptist. When he came, he preached repentance, but he also preached and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the entire world. John's readers would have understood also in the Old Testament the Passover lamb that came through the camp. And as long as they had the blood of the lamb on the door post, how many know the death angel had to pass by? They understood the lamb and the significance of the lamb. Is anybody thankful that the lamb of God was innocent, that he laid his life down for you and I, and we'll get to walk on streets of gold, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Take about 10 seconds and give God a praise if you're thankful for the lamb of God. The Book of Revelation is pretty cool. When you start seeing Jesus in its pages, who is Jesus of Revelation? He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is also the Lamb of God. The third thing we see, and this is a longer span. This is Revelation chapter 6, verse, all the way through Revelation chapter 18. But in this section, Jesus is the righteous judge. He's the righteous judge. And he judges the earth righteously. Now, if you've ever watched TV shows and you got the prophetic guy on there with funny hair. Come on, y'all. And he's talking about what, what's happening in Israel and what's happening in Babylon and all that kind of stuff. Most likely, they're talking about Daniel, the book of Daniel, or they're talking out of Revelation chapter 6 all the way through Revelation chapter 18. In Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, it shows us that a temple will be rebuilt. Because we know one of the things the Antichrist does is that he uh, defiles the temple that has been rebuilt. And if you're interested in the Antichrist and you want to know a little bit more about him, Revelation 13 through 16 talks specifically about the Antichrist, I said a few weeks ago, uh, I don't know who the Antichrist is because there's a lot of good options, right? So I don't have to get hung on uh, hung up on who it is or who it isn't. Uh, we know that there is coming a world leader, and he's going to institute what is known as the mark of the beast. If you're looking for the word Antichrist in the Book of Revelation, you're not going to see it because it's referred to. He's referred to as the beast. Everybody say the beast. All right? He's not talking about some beast in the field. He's talking When the revelation talks about the beast, he's talking about a world leader. A, a world leader who implements a, the mark of the beast. And the, the reason the mark of the beast is interesting is because um, if you don't receive the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to go to the grocery store and get anything. The problem is, is that if you take the mark of the beast, you're destined for hell. So there will be people that won't take the mark, but they will have to give their life and be willing to die. Now, how many know that's not a good place to be in? That's why I say, why, why don't you just go ahead and get ready to go on the first bus load out? Come on, somebody. Let's not hang around for all that drama. Come on, let's not hang out for that. Let's be ready to go. Um, and... um. He the Bible says about the antichrist he's synonymous with he's synonymous with the beast and if you read it carefully you'll see a woman that gives birth to a beast and some of you ladies like yeah I've done that two or three times right <laughs> come on y'all I'm just making sure you're listening um and and in revelation 13 the Bible says that the antichrist the beast is killed But the crazy thing about the Antichrist, because he does have supernatural power, even though it's satanic, he rises up from the dead. So he's not only going to have worldwide influence, but he's going to have power. Now, how many know Satan's power doesn't touch God's power? But we can see supernatural things being done by this world leader. You can also read about the two witnesses that God anoints that take the gospel around the world, and they perform miracles and preach, and they will also be killed and rise again. And these guys, if you read about the two witnesses, they're cocky, man. Like, they, they, they got a little bit of arrogance about them. They prophesy, and they can literally shut up the heavens so that it doesn't rain. They can issue plagues at any time around the world, and, and God's going to use them in a very significant way. In Revelation chapter 17, are y'all still following with me? All right, I'm trying to give you a lot in a little bit of time. In Revelation 17, verses 12 and 13, along with Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, it's interpreted by most as the Antichrist being raised up to assassinate world leaders and moving toward, watch this, a one world government. I, I know that... We, we want to fight, and we want to buck, and, and all that, and I, I'm with you, because I, I think a one-world government is not good, like in a lot of ways. But how many know, at some point, there's going to be a one-world government on the earth. That's Bible prophecy. At some point, it's going to happen. In Revelation 16, 16 through 19, it shows us that the beast, the Antichrist, is defeated. If y'all throw my timeline up, throw that timeline back up one more time. They're like, Pastor, we can't follow you. Um, So you got the return of Christ where we come back with him. We rule and reign for a thousand years, but during this time period, there is what is known as the Battle of Armageddon. And this is when the Antichrist is defeated. All right? That's the moment that God defeats the Antichrist. And if you look at these chapters, chapter six, all the way through chapter 18, you have to remember, what, what's the point I'm making here? Jesus is the righteous judge. How many of you believe that God is a righteous judge? Right? I'm all about mercy. I'm all about grace. I'm all about the blood of, I'm all for it. But at this point, like, that's not what it's about. It's about God's judgment being poured out. It talks about the seal judgments. And, and some of y'all are like, well, my, what's a seal judgment? This is where you read about the four riders of the apocalypse. This sounds like a great Sunday morning sermon already. Um, you'll see the moon turn to blood. You'll see bloodshed from war. And about a quarter of the world's population, watch this, will die from famine. Plagues and wild beasts. The second judgment that is poured out between Revelation 6 and 18 are the trumpet judgments. And this is when you will see hell. Well, you're not going to see it because you're going to be eating the marriage supper of the lamb. I thought I'd find a witness right there. You will see hell and fire mixed with blood fall from the sky. Poisonous locusts. One third of the vegetation is destroyed. In the trumpet judgments. A third of the water on the planet is contaminated. A third of the sea creatures die. A third of the light of of light is lost. A third of the world dies. How many know that's a bad time? But this is God righteously judging what has gone on. God is judging what has gone on. The one thing we have to remember is that even when his judgments are being poured out, when you read the book of Revelation, you discover that God still gives people an opportunity to repent and make things right. How many are thankful for God's grace that even in the middle of judgment, he's given you an opportunity to make things right? These are the trumpet judgments. The third and final judgments are the bold judgments. And this is where sores will break out on people. This is, um, th- and not just on anybody, this is people that took the mark of the beast. They will break out with sores all over their body. And water turns to blood and everything dies. The Bible says that the sun will literally scorch people and earthquakes will hit, and a hundred-pound hell will fall from the sky. I'm sure nobody's really liking that part of the book of Revelation. But we have to understand that how many's ever done something wrong and got away with it, right? And you'd say, that's probably not fair, but I got away with it. Or you knew someone who did something they got away with. It. It's not fair. This is the moment where God is righteously judging what was wrong. And it's, it's interesting to me, it's almost like God knows people are going to be skeptical and think, well, how can a good God judge it this harshly? And in Revelation 16 and 5, it says this, it's an, it's an angel. He's actually affirming the judgment. It says, then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, you are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the holy one, because you have so judged. So that even an angel comes along and says, you, you, are, you are righteous in your judgments. Now, again, I'm preaching this as your pastor because I don't want you hanging out for any of it. I want you to know about it. I want you to know what the book of Revelation says, but I don't want any I don't want to hang I don't want my kids hanging out for this. I want us to be ready that when the trumpet sounds that our feet leave the ground and we join Jesus in the air. Amen. That that's that's my goal. That's my goal. All right. We've knocked 3 out of 5. The fourth section comes from Revelation. There's two chapters, Revelation 19 and 20. And that's where Jesus is the king of kings, all right? He's the king of kings, and he's returning with his church. In Revelation 19, starting in verse 11, it says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. All heroes got to come back on a white horse, right? Whose rider is called Faithful and True, with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus has a tattoo, y'all. Come on, he's bad. I told you, he ain't coming back, buddy, buddy. He's coming back to take over. He's got a tattoo on his thigh. I'm King of Kings. I'm Lord of Lords. Um, and, and so he returns on this white horse. He's dressed in a robe. It's dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And, and what I love about it, he's not coming back as a candidate to be voted on. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's not an election. Nobody can steal the election. Come on. Did I say that out loud? I, I said that. Listen, there's no such thing as a stolen election. There's not a bunch of fraud around it. Why? Because he does not need to be voted on. And he's coming back to let the world know, I am the King of kings. I am the Lord of lords. That at my name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Give him praise this morning if you're thankful for that. Man, I feel like preaching now. Got a little pumped up here. Number five, this is the last part. Jesus, this is the last section, Revelation chapters 21 and 22. I'm doing real good on time. Y'all know I've only been preaching 30 minutes. Jesus is the bridegroom, all right? That's Revelation 21 and 22. Jesus takes us, his bride, into the heavenly city, all right? Look at Revelation 21, verses 9 and 10, and verse 23. It says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamp. He said, I will show you a bride. Who is the bride? How many of you understand we are the bride of Christ? We're the bride of Christ. And he takes us to a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus is the bridegroom. And this new heaven and new earth, I want somebody to really hear this, does not need a sun or a moon. Because I used to sing about this growing up, Jesus will be the light of that city. We won't need a sun, we won't need a moon, we won't need a star. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the city, that His glory will light up the city of God. And He says that. What is the King saying in the book of? At the end of this book, He is saying the same thing. That he said in the book of Genesis. In Revelation chapter 22. It's the last book of your Bible. Verse 17. It says the spirit and the bride say come. And let him who hears say come. Whoever is thirsty let him Come and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Verses 20 and 21 says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Now, here's the thing as the worship team comes, here's the thing. Some of you will say, Well, I'm just not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. I'm not prepared. Surely God is not going to invite me to this. But what he's saying here is that it's not about you being worthy enough. If it was up to you and I to be worthy enough, we would never make it. That's why when they couldn't find anyone worthy to open up the scroll, they didn't look for you, they didn't look for me, but they were looking for a lamb. And if you're in this place today and you say, you know what, I'm thirsty and I'm dry, but I don't feel good enough, Jesus is still saying, come. I'll give you water. You will never thirst again. I'll show you grace. I'll show you mercy. I'll show you my goodness. I'll make my goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. Not because you are good, but because I am good. Somebody give God a praise today if you're thankful. Man, give him a real praise today. He's so good. He's so good. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment. This grace, this mercy is available to you today. You do not have to go into the end times afraid, but you can go into the end times knowing in whom you have believed. You say, Pastor, I've done a lot of bad things. So have I. But his grace has always met me right where I am. His grace will meet you right there where you are. If you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I'm not going to complicate this. I'm going to make it real simple. I'm not right with God. I need to be saved to have my sins forgiven, whether you're watching online or in this room. Those of you in this room, if you need to make some things right with the Lord, if you know I'm talking to you and you sense his grace and his mercy and the Holy Spirit drawing you into a relationship with God, If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but if that is you, would you just throw your hand up and say, That's me. I need His grace. I need His mercy today. Anyone at all? Those of you watching online, we want to give you that opportunity as well. All you have to do is say these words. You can say them right there at your computer, your smartphone. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself, so I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We believe if you prayed that prayer, I believe people are praying that prayer online today. We believe that if you prayed that prayer, you are now born again, that you are now a child of God. Amen. Come on, celebrate one more time. How many of you got something out of the message today? Did you get something out of it? Prayer team and staff, please go ahead and get in place. We're going to open up the altars. And listen, if you need prayer for anything at all, man, we've seen spines healed recently. We've seen kidney failure healed recently. We've seen God do some amazing things. So whatever you need God to do, come to this altar during this last song and allow us to put our faith with your faith. Before we sing, give him one more praise today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, bethesdachurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.